Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you are well. Um, I'm sure that, like most of us, we've all come off a very busy weeks, etc., etc. However, please pray for Chris. You know, he, he's recovering, but it's not easy for him to be at home, yeah? <laughs> you know, he would rather be out doing it, etc. I'm sure he would be. But we pray for him. The Lord will restore him and strengthen him. And I was praying for him. I was saying that, you know, the Lord would share mysteries with him that he would have not been able to share with him had he been well. <laughs> because obviously he's, just, he's got to rest. Is that correct? Yes. You know, the mighty exploits that God is going to do in him and through him in his kingdom. You know, he said amen to that then. Now this morning I, was, I have been, like most of us, extremely busy. <coughs> Excuse me. And I've been marking assignments for, I do initial teacher training, and I've been reading assignments about roles and responsibilities and relationships in lifelong learning all of Saturday. And I said, well, Lord, what am I going to preach? And as I was having my, you know, having conversations with people, this message I've got here, I've preached it before, came up. And what I'm going to do is bring it to you this morning, and the title of this message came out of something that Fliss was challenging, challenging us preachers to do, to come up with good titles for our sermons, so that at least if you went onto the podcast, you would think, oh, that looks interesting, rather than John, <laughs> or, you know, or sin, <laughs> right? And it's interesting, last week, as you know, um, David Payne was with us. Oh, you were here. Good. <laughs> and he, he preached about sin and the cross. The last time I preached, I think a month of the day, was on exactly the same thing. So I think God has tried to speak to us about something there. However, the title of this message is about one of the most, my, one of the most famous people in the Old Testament and one of my favorite characters, David. And, and the title that I gave this message was The Game Changer. Yeah, David the game changer. Because we need game changers. We need people who, when God puts them in a situation, things turn around. You know, as we read about David, his epitaph was this. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't passive about his relationship with God. There was passion there. We're going to look at see how God takes him from obscurity to become the king of Israel in waiting. And we're going to just see how God prepares him and gets him ready. So, let's just give you a little bit of background. The children of Israel, as you know, came out of Egypt after 430 years of incubation, the longest gestation period in history. And God sent Moses to bring them out, to bring them in. And they came to the promised land, as you know, and God raised up Joshua, and with Joshua, under his leadership, they conquered Canaan and became a nation. Well, as you know, later on, they fell away from the Lord. And we read that in the book of Judges, how they did what was right in their own eyes and didn't follow the Lord. And the Lord allowed the very enemies that they had conquered to begin to conquer them. And then by the time 
we get to the end of Judges, Samuel is born. And Samuel, Hannah's son, becomes the first prophet in Israel. And Israel is a theocracy. It's unlike any other nation on the face of the earth. It's ruled by God. And by the way, back in those days, when they had wars, it was your God against my God. And my God was bigger than your God. Well, Israel's God was the God of all gods. And when you read the Old Testament, you talk of, you'll read that. You know, the gods are so-and-so, and the gods are so-and-so, and the gods are so-and-so. But Jehovah was the God. Anyway, the Israelites said that they want to be like other nations. And Samuel was really upset by this. And God said to him, hold on, don't get upset, don't get depressed. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me as being God over them. And they wanted to have a king. That king was Saul. Now, if you read the passage, Saul started out well, but he was rejected by God. So God was looking for a new king. So we're coming to it here. Israel, formerly a theocracy under God, wants Saul a king, and God chooses Saul. But here's the thing. God, as I said, rejected Saul. You notice I have to wear glasses now. It just come upon me. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid I cannot say my eye has not waxed dim. <laughs> as Moses. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbors, the one better than you. So that's God's judgment on Saul. He says, I've taken it away from you and give it to your neighbor. Now then, who is the better person? Let's go down to 1 Samuel 16, 1 13. Come with me now. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn over Saul? Because the fact was that Samuel loved Saul because Saul epitomized everything that a king should be. He was taller than everybody else. He was broader than everybody else. He looked regal. He looked royal. He looked the business. So that's why he was upset over him. Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul hear and about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, do something religious. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab. Now, Elab was just like Saul. He was tall, he was big, he was regal, he was royal. He looked the business. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Samuel was still stuck in the wrong mindset. But anyway, and the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or the height, as fathers say to their daughters, don't look on the height or the sight, and vice versa. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things as man looks. Man 
looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad, and he came to pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammai pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen him. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, "Are are these all your sons? Great question. Are these all the sons you have? Moment of truth. You know, I've started to preach before I should, but it doesn't matter. Sometimes people ask you questions and they're moments of truth. And this was a moment of truth for Jesse because he had a secret. He brought all the sons he wanted Samuel to see, but he didn't bring one. As I was growing up, my mum and dad would talk with me. And I always remember when we were living down in Finsbury Park, I had a kind of nephew turn up. And as the story began to unravel, what it was was this um, niece or nephew or cousin, beg your pardon. I'm still trying to work out what he was. <laughs> yeah. what? Well, I had an uncle who I'd never met who had a wife that was living in one part of the country, but he also went down to live in another part of the country in Jamaica. And he met someone there, and this was the product of the relationship. So in other words, he was a half something or other. In other words, he was one of those people you didn't talk about because you didn't really want to know who the origin was, who really was the father. Or you knew who the father was, but you didn't know who the mother was. And we had a kind of a lot of that kind of thing going on. You'd find out that, well, you know, you see that young man over there? It's Jamaican, sorry. Well, that's the mother, but the father is your uncle. But I thought my uncle was married to A. Yes, that too. Oh, right. Now you're with me now, you see? That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Oh, you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> are, these all your, are, the, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse said, but he's tending the sheep. He's busy. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was already with a fine appearance and handsome features. He was a bit all right. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. <laughs> I must admit, Samuel must have been confused. <laughs> but here we go. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went back to Ramah. Now then, I've kind of, kind of got into the message already. But David was the better person, but he was kept in obscurity. Why was that? Well, as I began to meditate and think about this, Psalm 51 verse 5 comes to me. You remember, this is David's great penitential psalm after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he, he says this, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, 
And in sin, my mother conceived me. Somehow, by the Spirit of God, he knew that the kind of relationship, the way he came into the world was not great. It was messy. His conception was not great. He kind of knew that the kind of relationship he had with whoever the woman was who was his mother, the way it started was wrong. It was, as I said, oh, so your uncle isn't your uncle, it's someone, oh, right, that's what happened. And he recognized that by the Spirit of God. And you know, for some of us, we found out later in life that what, who we thought was our mum isn't our mum. So, you know, we thought it was our sister, rather, but actually it is our mum, or the other way around. Or we found out dark things about the past. And you begin to join the dots and you begin to wonder, understand why you react and respond in that way. And this was very powerful for me. As I began to, God began to show me about my past and show me about my beginning. It was very powerful. Who's to know that some of the struggles that you have come out of how you started out? And I'm a big fan of it, but I think the Restore course helps people to begin to deal with those issues. Some of the woundedness, some of the, the, the behaviors, some of the things that we do where we disappear or we abandon things or we don't finish up, we don't finish things properly or we find ourselves open to addiction can be rooted back to the way that we start. Psalmist says this, 139, 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. For some of us, we don't know that full well. We still have issues. We never think that God might have a plan to use us as a game changer because. What's your because? What's the because that's stopping you from being what God intended you to be and to do? And let me say something. Those of you who you know you're wounded, and you know that deep down in your heart you won't deal with the issue, so what you do is you, you, you develop strategies to, to deal with it. You become super intellectual, or you become super busy. Or you, in those moments when you need comfort, go to some addiction that you know will not help you, but just creates more shame. What's God's intention? 1 Samuel 16, 12, 13. So he sent and brought him in. Brought him in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome as we know. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed me in the presence of his brothers. I love that. You see, if you read the story of Joseph, his brothers didn't like him. You read 1 Samuel 17. They were happy to have a go at him. He was just a little sheep boy. But the Lord anoints him in the midst of his brothers. He anoints him so that everybody can see that this is my boy. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went on to Ramah. 
Look, friends, his plan, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, whatever has caused you to be here is this. He's going to bring you in to raise you up. Oh, that was good. He's going to bring you in to raise you up. His plan is to, that if you feel marginalized, if you feel that God can't use you, if you feel that you're disqualified, he's going to bring you in to raise you up. And whatever start you had, whatever difficulties you experienced, whatever setbacks you've had, whatever shadow is over your life, God's plan for you has not changed. He has prepared a good work prepared beforehand that you should walk in it. Ephesians 2.10. And his plan is that by his grace and his mercy, he work in you his redemptive power, the cross, to set you free so that one day you can step into what it is God has planned for you and you can be and do the thing that God called you to be and do and let everybody say amen. amen. That's the plan. He's going to bring you in. He brought David in. He brought him out of obscurity. He brought him out to bring him in to what God had for him. And don't you spend your time looking around at all the other people that you think could do it better than you are so gifted and so talented and all the rest of it. Because God has talent and he has gifting in you. The plan of the enemy is to thwart that and never allow you to reach your full God-given potential. That's nothing to do with Maslow. God had a plan for you before Maslow had any idea about it. Bless God bless it. He's going to bring you to your full potential. That's the plan of redemption. He's going to anoint and affirm you in the presence of your brothers and sisters. God wants to affirm you in the midst of your brothers and sisters. There's this affirmation from the body that you are one of us, and whatever it is God is doing you, we acknowledge it. That's, that's Acts 13, 1 to 2, where God has called Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. And then when the apostles and the prophets prayed, they just confirmed that and sent them out. There's that affirmation from the body. For his brothers, it was interesting because they had natural strength and natural ability. So God anoints David in the midst of his brothers and they now know that God's hands on him. And he's going to bring about a rebirth. A rebirth that you're born now from above. The power of the Most High has overshadowed you. And that which is in you is of God. Whatever birth he had at the beginning is irrelevant. You are born from above. You are a partaker of the divine nature. His spirit lives within you and is working together for good in you. Amen. Mm. I'm enjoying this message, but I've got to get moving now. So all received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of the will of man or descent, but born of God. And friends, you've been born of God. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, whatever the consequences of your coming into this world, you've been born from above if you're a follower of Jesus. So, the game changer revealed. We've got to get moving now. Israel at war with the Philistines and set in battle array. And if you were watching, this is a film the Israelites are on one side, the Philistines on the other, and there's a valley. Goliath, who remember Goliath? 
The Philistine champion wants a one-on-one duel where winner takes all. David's three older brothers have gone down to war with Saul and King. With Saul the king, Jesse sends uh, David possessions with uh, provisions for the battle because you know there weren't any shops out there at the time. You know, ten thousand people. So he sent, take some cheeses and take this and that, and he sent them down there. Lovely. If you read it in one Samuel seventeen, it says, before David makes the trip, he makes sure he gets someone to look after the sheep. And when I preached this, I did say, you know. If you have responsibility in the church, please get cover before you go. <laughs> right? David hears the words of Goliath and observes the fear and a fear in the people. So what happens? David gets down there, David, and the people are all, have you seen Goliath? Have you heard what he's saying? Man, how can we defeat this guy? And David's like, hey, what's wrong with you guys, man? He's just a man. And of course, remember, he's just a little youth, and he's, of course, he's handsome and gorgeous and all that stuff. So they're like, would you go away? Then when he gets there to see his brothers, his brothers now say, what do you want? He says, well, here's some cheese and some whatever. Ah, you are a scurvy knave. Why? You've come down to see the battle. And David says, look, man, what's wrong with you guys? You can't you hear what this Goliath is saying? This guy is cursing our God, and you, you want to have a go at me? What's wrong with you? And this is what he says, and I would love to preach this. Verse 29 says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I can't preach that this morning. But friends, you know something? Some of us, we don't know that there's a cause. We think, you know, there's people that come to this church that think there's nothing going on in it. Because they don't come that often. But friends, you know, we're here because there's a cause. We want to preach the good news of the gospel. We have a cause because we believe that Jesus has anointed us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captors. And for this is the the year of the Lord's favor. To come for all those who mourn in Zion. To give a garland of praise to the spirit of heaviness. We believe that there's a cause. And David understood that it was a cause and that was what caused passion in his heart. Now then. Game changers always have passion for God's name and for his fame. Men, you need to have passion for God's fame and his name. If you don't have passion for his name and his fame, you know what you become? Passive. Passivity. And I think it was Rick came and we had a curry night on a couple of Fridays ago. The curry was fantastic. The gourd, gourd and his team there, he's just awesome, that man. And I hope he's going to do a gourd rub for chicken and we were to buy that stuff. It's good. However, the fact is that it was Rick who said, uh, gave, brought a word to the men about passivity. I wasn't there for all of it, but it's the idea of taking out your sword and using it. Many of us as men have still got the sword in the sheath. We don't take it out. We're passive. And when we should be stepping out in the authority of God as men in God, we just sit back and we let the women do it. And by the way, that wasn't disrespectful to women. Thank God for the women. Thank God for those women who pray and intercede. And we've got some great teachers and preachers coming through as well. Thank God for them. But guys, we need, we need to do our job. We need to do our job. We need to start to lead. And we need to start to take authority in the name of Jesus under the anointing of God and begin to become the people we were meant to be in leadership. Amen. It wasn't in my notes, but anyway, it doesn't matter. 
David says, no one should be afraid of the Philistine. He will go out and fight with them and kill him. His words come obviously to the ears of the king. Now what does King Saul do? He reminds David of the odds. You're only a boy. Your face is ruddy. Look, friends, let me tell you something. There will always be people who tell you what the odds are. You can't be buying a building. It's the recession. We're in a double-dip economy. Where are we going to find, job, find money for that? Don't you know what's going on in the congregation? People are losing their jobs. Blah, 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 blah. Listen to Radio 4. And the people on Radio 4 are the people that think that the, that the most important thing in the world is what they're talking about. And all the people in the nation are concerned about what Mr. Osborne is going to bring about in the, in the budget. Look, let me tell you this. Most people are only concerned about how they're going to pay their bills and how they're going to make sure that there's food on the table. They are not concerned about what's happening in George Osborne's um, as it were, budget, only as it affects them as individuals. You see, that, that's the truth, isn't it? Now, here it is. The fact is this, that we have too many people who are telling us the odds. But you know what? The facts don't count because God is able to do a seeding abundantly above that which we ask or think according to the power that works mightily in us. And that's where we're looking. We're not looking to the government. We're not looking to Mr. Osborne. We're not looking to Mr. Cameron. Yes, let's pray for them, but our resources are from God and his resources are unlimited. How does David respond? And friends, this is how you respond. You respond out of your walk with God. This is how David responds. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by the hair. I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David had a testimony. The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. We've been here 25 years. We've got a building, 2.2 million we spent on it. The God that provided the money for that can provide the money for that if we need to buy the, the thing across the road there. It hasn't changed. It's power. Yes, you can clap. Yeah. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. He's still the same. We have a testimony. And the same God who provided for the building that you're sitting in now is the same God who will provide the finances for us if we are to build, buy that building across the road and continue our compassion ministries because he's God and he's able and he hasn't changed. Amen. Mm, I'm getting into this. <laughs> David's confidence is based on his work with God. And experiencing God's protection and provision. Just as our experience is based on a God who provides, and that's why we're looking to him to do great and mighty things that we have not seen. So what was his declaration to Goliath? Because, you know, you know Saul said to him, well, you need all this armor and that. And David said, I haven't tested that stuff. Don't, don't need it. All right? He says, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to have get five stones, five is the number of grace, I'm going to have a sling and I'm a bare face hanging out. And I'm going to meet him. And this is what he says to, Saul, he says to Goliath. You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Well, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
Today I will give, you, give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, earth, and the whole earth will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. And when you read it, he goes down there and he slings that stone and it hits the, the Philistine in his forehead and it sinks in, he got the point, and he fell on his face and then David takes his sword and cuts off his neck. And that is the game-changing moment and all of a sudden the Israelites get alive and they start to chase down the Philistines. And they have a wonderful victory because of a young man who had walked with God, who knew his provision, his protection, who had proved them in the secret place. And when the time came, he was able to just go based on his experience with God, his provision that he experienced from God, and the courage that he had built up walking with God. So here we go, close it out now. Game changers usually have poor and humble beginnings. So if you have a poor and a humble beginning, you can still be a game changer. Game changers learn how to walk with God doing the mundane and the ordinary. David looked after sheep, and it was mundane and it's ordinary. You may be doing ordinary stuff, but God can use you and prepare you while you're doing the ordinary stuff. Don't despise it. Game changers learn to encourage themselves and others in times of difficulties. When you're a game changer, you can come in and you can change the atmosphere in that office. You can change the atmosphere in that business because you come in with expectation and faith. And people pick it up straight away. As soon as you walk in, you can change the atmosphere. Game changers come to terms with who they are in God and begin to operate in the authority that is theirs in Christ. Friends, particularly I was talking to you men, we need to understand who we are in God as a people. You know, when we come to pray for the sick, this is where we see the passivity kick in. Someone's there, and we've got to pray for them. So what we tend to do now is say, um, Lord, heal Joey, and Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you heal him? What are you talking about? God's like, excuse me, why are you asking me to do something that I've given you authority to do? You pray, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing over you. And we speak to the cancer. And we speak to the growth. And we speak to the leg. And we speak to the back in the name of Jesus. That's active. We activate our faith. We don't ask God to do something for us which he's told us to do. It's not up to us to bring the healing. It's, us, it's up to us to, in the authority of Christ, speak it in the name of Jesus. When Paul was walking down the road and he saw the man who, who was, was lame at the gate, beautiful, he saw that he had faith. And he didn't say to you, in the name of Jesus, in, uh, Jesus, I ask you to heal him. He said, in the name of Jesus, stand up. And the guy sprung up. Read it in Acts. It's there. Notice how they pray. They don't ask God to do it. They speak it with authority. And friends, we need to know who we are in Christ. Our identity isn't our job and our education and all of that rubbish. Because it is rubbish at the end of the day. Because when we get before God, it will be burned up with fire. What will stand is the silver and the gold and who we are in Christ. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's why when people lose their job and their identity is tied up in their job, they fall apart. The whole purpose of it is so that you might find out who you are in Christ. Okay. Game changers, this is the last point. Have passion for God's name 
and fame. They want all the earth to know that the Lord is God. And friends, I would pray. Let's stand, band, yo, come. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I would want for you that you would get passion for his name. Because you see, if you have passion in your heart for Jesus, you're not just living your life kind of, okay, this bit's for God, I'll do a little bit of volunteer work here, then the rest of the time I'm going to travel. Yeah? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But friends, don't you want to have a life that counts for something, that when you stand before God, you can say, yes, Lord, I kept the faith. I finished the course. I fulfilled the mission that you called me to do. And I gave my life for something bigger than myself. Life is more than just going to work. Life is not more than just trying to do office politics. Life is more than that. God has a purpose for us which is eternal. When you, give, when you say you give time to God, you're not giving time to God. You're investing your time in eternity. You know, when I preach the gospel, people's lives are changed for eternity. My job and all that other stuff never does that stuff. So I would f- pray for you that God would make you a game changer where you are. I pray for us as men that we begin to step into the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray for us as men that we would have the courage to deal with the stuff in our hearts that stop us from being who we were meant to do, be to be, and more importantly, stop covering up with all that other stuff. And get real with God, get transparent with God, get open with God, and let him get into your heart and start to deal with that stuff, and let the cross come and set you free from the hurt and the pain and the woundedness that's there, so that you can step into what it is God has for you, and start fooling around with him, and thinking that you have to go away to some island somewhere, or go on some mountain. No! You need to allow God to get into your heart and allow you to deal with some of this stuff and reconnect your heart and your mind so that you can come into that place where you can experience the grace of God. Holistic salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. 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 Mm-mm, I'm preaching this. So let's pray together and then we're going to just worship. Father, we bless you for David. We thank you, yes, that he was such a great game changer. Thank you that he... He learned to get to know you in the ordinary and in the mundane. He got to know your heart and he got a passion for your name. And Father, we ask you as a people that you would work in our hearts, Lord Jesus. That we might not just do religion, but that we might get to know you. That we might have a heart that is sensitive to you. A heart that is open to you to come and remove those things from it that stop us fulfilling the potential that you have invested in us. And we ask you as men that, Lord, you deliver us from passivity and you'd help us to to stand up in the liberty and the dignity that you've called us to be in your kingdom. That we might begin to lead with sensitivity, that we might begin to be priests in our home, that, Lord, we might begin to exercise that authority in a godly way, that we might encourage our wives in God for those who have them, that, Lord, we as a people might be game changers in this community, that we might be salt and light, that in the darkness, Lord, there may be a community of people who know their God, who've experienced his love, who've experienced his healing, and can give hope 
to those who are distressed, that can lift up and encourage the weary with a word and can bring those who need their hearts broken to Jesus, our Saviour. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.